Hello, and welcome to the Quality Investing Podcast. Today's episode is a bit more topical than some of our past episodes. Rather than profile one single company, today we will be examining the industry of graph databases. Graph databases are a subject that has been a side project of mine for a number of years now. They are interesting, at least to me, because of their unique abilities to find the needle in a company's data haystack in the most efficient manner possible. Graph databases have been limited, however, because of their historical inability to scale. This means that although they can perform the needle in the haystack analysis very quickly, the size of the haystack itself better not be too large, because then the entire system begins to fail. That now appears to no longer be the case. A company by the name of TigerGraph has solved for the distributed query function across graph databases. And the business cases that have evolved from this is resulting in higher fraud detection rates within banks, more accurate underwriting assessments within insurance companies, and shorter planning cycles across complex supply chains. In fact, generative AI even functions on top of graph databases in most cases as well. Graph databases were created more than a decade ago in the mid-2000s, right about the same time that MongoDB got its start in building one of the world's first document databases. This year, MongoDB will produce approximately $1.5 billion of revenue, and the NoSQL database industry that Mongo operates in is expected to produce around $36 billion in total revenues. Meanwhile, the graph database industry is estimated to be less than $2 billion in size at the present moment. Although we are beginning to see large-scale enterprises standardizing all of their analytical databases on graph database companies namely TigerGraph at this moment. I decided, however, rather than to profile TigerGraph in a standalone episode, that it would make much more sense to look at the graph database industry as a whole, to learn what fundamentally makes graph databases so appealing, and also what their key limitations have been in the past. It's important to note that effectively all of my research was gathered via the Stream by AlphaSense platform. Stream is an expert network database with over 26,000 transcripts. In addition to being a regular sponsor of this show, they're an invaluable resource to me as I seek to learn more about companies and industries that interest me. Today's episode would not exist had I not first come across an interesting transcript on Stream that piqued my curiosity. Within the Stream platform, there are more than 3,000 transcripts on the subject of databases. 39 of which have been published in the last two years that particularly focus on this subsegment of graph databases. You will find from these transcripts insights describing what graph databases are, what their historical limitations have been, and which companies are best positioned to monetize the industry going forward. Each expert has their own unique perspective on this industry, and they often disagree with one another as to which company is best positioned going forward. There is consensus, however, that two companies, Neo4j and TigerGraph are the two best positioned companies at this present moment within graph databases. Today, I have invited Gaurav Deshpande to be a guest on this episode. Gaurav has spoken to analysts in the stream platform in the past, and I have found him to be one of the very best people to speak with on this subject. In listening to him, I believe that you will be impressed not only with his knowledge on the subject, but also his unique ability to explain things simply. My hope for today's episode is not to examine one company in particular, but rather to examine an important megatrend 
that is transpiring within the world of databases that has enormous ripple effects for companies of all sizes and all geographies when it comes to performing data analysis. I hope you'll please enjoy today's episode of the Quality Investing Podcast with our guest, Gaurav Deshpande. Uh, I am happy to have with me Gaurav Deshpande, and thank you for coming on to the podcast. Hey, Jake. It's wonderful to be here and meet all of your viewers. Um, big shout out to everybody, and thank you for including me as a part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm really excited to get into it. I think it would probably be helpful before we before we start the call to hear a little bit more about your background before we kind of dive into graph databases. Yeah, absolutely, Jake. I'm Gaurav Deshpande. I have been doing enterprise software for about 28 years now. Um, did uh, three successful startups. Uh, first one was a supply chain management that started from 30 plus employees to went to IPO. And then the dot-com boom went all the way to 40 billion in valuation. So it was a really good <laughs> outcome for all of us. Uh, second one was a master data management company, MDM company that was acquired by IBM for well over a billion dollars. Um, got into big data there at IBM, built out their portfolio for big data and analytics and AI. Uh, that's how I got introduced into AI. Uh, and then um, after IBM for doing about 13 years with IBM, building out their portfolio, running $4 billion annual revenue portfolio from marketing side, I decided to get back to my startup roots, did a third startup, which was a graph database, Tag a Graph. And that's part of the reason why we are chatting about here. So that's a brief right. journey, and I'm on to my fourth uh, startup now. So uh, three successful startups so far, three for three. Really happy about it. I've been a lucky person. I've had a chance to work with a lot of uh, really bright people. So it's the team that drives the success forward. Great, great. So before we get into specifically graph databases, I would love if you could just kind of give us the 10,000-foot overview of the database industry as a whole. It's very, very high level. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start, go back all the way to the beginning of databases. Um, we started, you know, back back in 70s and 80s, we started back saying we need to organize information in some way. And rows and columns is how people thought about the world. So relational databases came along, the first set of databases that came along, were really to say, these rows and columns of data, account information, customer information, product data, can we put it into some kind of a container? And that's what the database was. So the relational databases is where the movement got started. Uh, that's what majority of the databases in the world are still relational databases, and they're fantastic for transactional capabilities, which what I mean by that is you want to store all your orders in a repository Relational database is a perfect place to establish that. After relational databases, which they rule the roost for about 25, 30 years, then we started uh, getting into um, uh, non-relational databases, uh, what are called the NoSQL databases. Um, NoSQL databases, N-O-S-Q-L, NoSQL databases, are really databases that uh, don't rely on a row and column structure. That means information is not stored as rows of data or columns of data. It's stored typically as a key value pair. Key value pair meaning here is the customer ID 
And here is the uh, here is the particular customer name associated with that. That's a key value pair, right? Um, think of it as easiest way to think about NoSQL databases is it is a table, but it's a table that has billions of rows or millions of rows, depending on the size of the table. And it has only two values in each of those rows, right? So it doesn't have 100 columns. It doesn't have 500 columns in case, like in case of a relational database. Each row contains a particular identifier and a value associated with it. So the customer's name will be on, on a separate row. The customer's address, first line would be on a different row. Second line would be on a third row. Zip code will be on a separate row and so on and so forth. You're with me so far? So yes, that's the NoSQL databases. And then there are columnar databases that came along um, that basically specified that use columns as the primary structure as opposed to rows and columns. So these are all the evolution that happened is because there are more flexibility needed in terms of representing data. So if you look at traditional relational database, all data related to an object like a customer is stored in one table. All data such as orders is stored in one or more tables. Product data like items, like let's say Jake ordered um, a, uh, let, let's take my own example. I ordered some chairs and I ordered a coffee table for my house because we are in the process of changing everything in terms of furniture and I ordered a dining table. Each of those items is stored in an item table, right? So item table is separate. That order that contains order for dining table is stored in a separate uh, table for orders. And then customer information, Gaurav Dishpande's information is stored in a separate customer table. So anytime you're trying to do analysis across those to understand what are the type of item Gaurav has ordered the most in the last three months or last six months or two years using the website, it requires joining those tables. And that's what relational databases require. And that's why they are slow for doing analysis of data. They also are rigid in terms of structure. Every time you're trying to add a new column, right? And like a new field for customer data, a new field for order data, a new field for item data, it takes, you have to re-index. That means you have to refresh the search associated on how the information, and that's a very computationally intensive task. So structure is rigid for relational data and connecting information requires what is called table joints. Go from product table to customer table to item table to order table, connect across all of those tables and then try to find the information. So analysis of data is clunky or takes long time and extension of data is hard to do. You can't extend data, database fields very easily. The second problem, extension of data was solved by NoSQL. Uh, the first problem was solved by graph databases. So <laughs> I came back in circle, but evolution of the databases is you started with rows and columns in a relational database. Then you went to a simpler structure with NoSQL where you said there's only a um, single table and each row contains one record and one record contains, you know, one aspect of the customer data. So it's infinite flexibility because you can add another row which has a new field and it just gets added seamlessly. There's no rigidity to the structure of the data, right? 
but analysis of the data is still very hard and that's what was solved by graph databases. So that's a 10,000 foot overview of how we evolved from relational databases to NoSQL and from NoSQL graph databases came out of that. Okay. Help me understand you you use the you, the the e-commerce example mm-hmm. is that the primary use case in which NoSQL and graph is better suited for like what use cases are relational databases still really good for and yeah. likewise same question for NoSQL and for graph absolutely yeah so let's talk about that relational databases are excellent for transactions so you're trying to book a ticket for the airline you are trying to book an order for e-commerce where a customer is placing an order for a product. Uh, you are trying to create a work order uh, where you are hiring five waiters for an upcoming event. All of those transactions, relational databases are perfect because you're dealing with one particular table and that particular table is the order table, for example. right? That's where relational databases shine that's where they came out of the reason to say, I, I have a business, I need to write it down. Instead of writing it down on a piece of paper, let me put it inside this nice structure called relational database with rows and, t- rows and columns, right? Uh, e-commerce broke that because e-commerce required a lot more flexibility to the order. Suddenly, for an order that was coming in for a new item that you added to your catalog, uh, such as a uh, such as a decorative item, it has five additional attributes that you didn't have with any of the other items before. So those five, COVID COVID comes along, for example, and now you have to say whether this particular item is part of a COVID cleaning, uh, you know, COVID uh, hygiene kit or not. Uh, those are the kind of new attributes. Every time something new happens in the world, new attributes or columns get added, and that's. That's where e-commerce requires that flexibility. Um, new businesses that are evolving rapidly require that flexibility, and that's where NoSQL is most appropriate, most needed. In addition to e-commerce, it's also useful in uh, payment transactions like fintech transactions that are that have constantly evolving and adding new fields. Um, there are a referral activity that means who referred who into a PayPal type network or another type of fintech network. Uh, what status do they have in terms of referring because they have referred more than 100 members, they are at a different status now. Um, what kind of promotion are they coming in with? Um, so even for not just for e-commerce, but even for payment networks, more flexibility is needed in terms of fields or schema or uh, attributes, and that's where NoSQL is really, really. So you see NoSQL adoption in e-commerce, in fintech, uh, in industries that are non-traditional and that are rapidly evolving. Right? Uh, right. You see graph databases as an extension further to say, hey, you solve the problem of being able to store those new orders, new fintech transactions in using using NoSQL database like a MongoDB, what you haven't solved is the problem of connecting the data and getting insights out of it. So anytime you're talking about analytics and you're talking about AI, artificial intelligence, then you're talking about graph databases. So simple way to think about it is NoSQL solve the problem of extending the schema, extending the attributes to store new information, 
for new fields and new industries. Technology is another industry that's a massive industry. And that's where NoSQL becomes real because technology is constantly evolving. And therefore, you have new attributes being added to the products, new attributes being added to the customer data because you want to capture new information about the customer, about the customer uh, on how they purchase things, what they like. And those information typically is stored in a MongoDB, like a NoSQL, like a MongoDB. But mm -hmm. when you're trying to analyze all that data and you try to get insights out of it, that's where GraphDB comes in. Because graph databases, the information is not stored as rows and columns. It's stored as interconnected business objects. So your customer, Gaurav Dishpande, is connected to all his orders. All his orders are connected to the items and the price and promotion that they, those orders availed of and the shipping that was there and the shipping address. And all of it is inside together as collected business objects, not separate tables that have to be connected for analysis. And that's where anytime you're trying to understand and analyze information in relational databases, funny enough, the best place to do that analysis is in a graph database by just simply exporting the information. And that's what people like United Health Group are doing. That's what MasterCard is doing. That's what JP Morgan Chase is doing. In fact, the reason why the fraud incidence is half today than what it was 10 years back is singularly related to graph databases being used to detect fraudulent networks of fraudsters and shutting those accounts down faster than what you can do with the relational database. So it's a classic example of connecting the dots, um, fraud detection, e-commerce recommendations, um, supply chain planning, all of these are prime because you need to connect multiple domains and get insights out of those to do this, do these use cases effectively. So those are some of the examples of primary use cases for graph databases. It sounds like, so I'm just going to try to summarize to make sure that I understand. It sounds like relational databases were really good for just kind of as a first order of storing data principally and to your point, you say it was good for transactional data, very simple things that are some, somewhat static. And NoSQL solved the ability to store more different types of data for things like e-commerce, where there are different objects that might be purchased for infinite assortment that Amazon popularized. Exactly. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. The Amazon problem, right? Or the Uber problem or the DoorDash problem. Same thing. A lot of huge assortment, new stores, yeah. new product portfolios. Yeah. And, and if I were to take it the next step to summarize what you're talking about with databases, just to make sure I understand, you're saying graph databases are really good for finding connections between various multi, kind of multifaceted problems, right? Like fraud detection yeah. and things like that, where maybe there's, uh, maybe there's a dozen different variables that might indicate that there's a fraudster group or in order to plan for your supply chain organizations and things like that. Is that correct? Absolutely. You're right. Uh, fraud groups, typically fraud rings create six to eight levels of accounts. And then they would have money funneling across these six, eight level of accounts to get to the final destination. In a traditional relational database, when you're trying to connect, you can do two levels of analysis to say this account, send money to this account. This account, send money to this account. But in real time, you can't traverse 
six or eight hierarchies of accounts because every time you are traversing, you have to do a join of the table to go from one account to another, to go from one uh, transaction to another. You have to join the tables together because you have to take the you have the transactions where the payments are, and then you have the customer data where the accounts are. You have to join yeah. the two tables together. Now, in case of graph database like Tigergraph, for example, it's already pre-connected. So customers, all of the payment transactions for an account are pre-connected to the account. All of the transactions that, so all you're doing is you are simply traversing the tree or you're traversing the graph. Graph is nothing but a tree, essentially, as you, when you draw on the board and write a tree saying, this belongs to these, this particular customer has these 200 transactions. These, each of these transactions are connected to these accounts. That tree is essentially pre-built in graph. And it has to be rebuilt with table joins in a relational database. And okay. that's what makes all the difference. So you're trying to do this fraud detection, that six to eight level analysis, Tigergraph can do 20 levels of deep analysis in real time at MasterCard, for example, and detect that particular debit card transaction or credit card transaction may be fraudulent with 50% more accuracy than what relational database can do reduces the fraud, right? Okay. Supply chain. Supply chain is typically five level deep, right? You have individual parts like Jaguar Land Rover, one of the customers of Tigergraph. I worked with them firsthand because I know uh, you have the parts that you need to build a car. And then you have individual suppliers that are providing assemblies, sub-assemblies. You have to consider all of that stuff, build the car and understand how you can build those how 3,000 cars of the one type and 2,000 cars of another type. And when you can deliver those based on the sales forecast, that replanning used to take three weeks, three weeks for the master plan for the quarter. Now it takes uh, 15 minutes. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a dramatic shift because mm. parts, are, parts are linked to the sub-assemblies. Sub-assemblies are linked to the car. Everything is linked together. So the way you go and compute information to find out when you can build a car is a lot faster, right? Yeah. From three weeks to 15 minutes is a dramatic change. And that means Jaguar Land Rover can move a lot faster with their supply. Okay. So I understand how the interconnectedness of the graph databases can lead to superior sort of analysis of different sorts of data, uh, especially relative to relational databases because of the table joins that you're referring yeah. to. But what fundamentally is limiting the NoSQL databases, like the document databases from ah. doing something something similar? What's the primary yeah. limitation there? The primary limitation there is they have, uh, let's take MongoDB as an example. And I love MongoDB. Uh, I've used MongoDB for over 15 years now. And it's fantastic for that flexibility of information being able to store new attributes in a row. But every row has a different structure, right? Because every row is unique, right? Every row has a different attribute in case of MongoDB. Now, when you're trying to do, when you're trying to do analysis, like your, let's take the fraud detection example again for MasterCard. When you're trying to go from a customer account to their all their transactions, you need to traverse this table with billion rows to find the customer one and transaction one, maybe on row 10,000. Next one may be on row million. And third one may be on row uh, 
2 million and so on and so forth. So you have to traverse the entire table to find the transactions. Then you have to look at who those transactions went to. So customer Rav made a payment to Jake, right? Now you have to go find all of Jake's accounts and all of his transactions as attached with those accounts. And you're traversing the same table multiple times. As you're scanning, it's called scanning the same table with 100 million rows in case of medium-sized data sets and billions of rows in case of larger data sets like MasterCard or Citibank or any of the other large banks. The speed, no matter how good your hardware is, you're still going to end up with basic bottleneck at the hardware level. So it's faster than relational database, but it's still slower, much slower than a graph, right? And that's the reason why NoSQL fundamentally cannot solve this problem because they were not designed to solve this problem. They're designed to add flexibility of structure and being able to extend a particular business object like a customer or an order or an item to add new attributes, new fields, new characteristics, but they were not designed for analytics or AI. And that's why you'll see in most of the solutions at scale, even for smaller startups, we see payment startups, fintech startups, storing all of their orders in a NoSQL database for e for the for logging it and then taking it out of there into a graph database for analysis because you cannot mm -hmm. do real time analysis inside a NoSQL database beyond two to three levels. Is it so? You mentioned taking data from a document database and putting it into a graph database. Is it as simple as just? exporting and importing or is it a little bit more complicated because it sounds like you have to make all these individual connections of this data is it a little bit more complicated than just porting so it used to be very complicated to your point jake and you gravitated onto something that was a limiting factor for first and second generation graph databases so okay. first and second generation graph databases found it really difficult to take the data and they were specialized scripting and data marshalling required or massaging required before you can put it in. Uh, in case of third generation graph databases, and now even for some of the first generation graph databases like Neo4j, uh, third generation graph database like TigerGraph, these databases are provided now accelerators which can scan a NoSQL file and essentially prepare uh, what is required in terms of translation into a graph structure and 90% of the work is done by the scripts that are provided data loader scripts. 10% you might need to look over to make sure that the alignment is correct. And once you are done with that, in a matter of less than a week, you can set up those jobs to port the data over. And then after that, it becomes like a routine export where you export it out of your Mongo um, or out of your uh, out, out of your any, any of the other uh, NoSQL databases, MarkLogic is another one. MarkLogic, mm -hmm. Mongo, you can just export it out on a regular basis. And the minute it's inside a TigerGraph instance, been inside a Neo4j, then the analysis is about goes from a, about thousand times faster in TigerGraph and about fifty to hundred times faster in Neo4j than a uh, than a, than a NoSQL database. Was the this sort of gets at another question that I wanted to to ask about the market sizes? So document databases or NoSQL databases and graph databases were both kind of created around the same time, like in the mid two thousands. And 
since then, one has wildly outperformed to the other. It's document yeah. databases, NoSQL databases are, it, it's an enormous industry now. MongoDB yeah. has surpassed a billion dollars of revenue. Yeah. And there's dozens of more competitors in the open source and various other ones. Yeah. So the document and NoSQL database has really, really taken off. It seems like graph databases haven't yet. You mentioned the one limitation in terms of being able to port data over. Mm -hmm. Have there been any other key limitations? What's what's changing? Yeah, there have been actually. uh, There there were three key limitations that held back adoption of graph databases. The first one is that first-generation graph database, classic example, Neo4j, had a limit to how much of data they can hold, right? Uh, they still do uh, because you can't load, you know, you can load gigabytes of data, but once you get past terabyte of data, um, you the performance slows down. The part of the reason why it wasn't is because it's not multi-threaded. So easiest way to think about it is, I'm sure you're familiar, you remember from childhood the, uh, uh, the, the story, right? Uh, uh, story of the two kids um, that go into the forest. Uh, Hansel and Gretel. Hansel and Gretel, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you know the story, right? So Hansel and Gretel go off into the forest and you know the story goes like the stepfather or the parent goes and gets them, uh, wants to wants them to be away from the house and not come back to the house. But Hansel and Gretel being the clever people that they are, they drop these little markers, uh, shiny pebbles along the way so they can find their way back, right? Now, each of those pebbled path is a thread within, within a database or a search, right? Think of it as if you had only one set of pebbles to drop, one colored pebbles, then you can only mark one path at a time, right? That's a single threaded solution database. That's what first generation graph databases are, like Neo4j, right? You can do one thread at a time within the forest as you are traversing the information hierarchy. And then you can't do multiple threads at the same time because it wasn't built for that, right? Um, In addition to that, so that's the second limitation. The first limitation, amount of data you can load, you can't load more than a terabyte. Second limitation, it's single threaded, which means in Hansel and Gretel metaphor, you can only drop one colored stones around one path and you can remember one path, but not multiple paths at the same time. Uh, the third limitation was that as you're using CPUs on a machine, right, processes on a machine, because it's single-threaded, uh, the amount of processes you can use on a machine are limited in terms of what they can produce in terms of output. Because of those three hardware limitations and size limitations, first-generation graph databases were not enterprise-ready. That's what they are called, right? They're not enterprise-ready because United Health Group, you know, MasterCard, have 10 terabytes, 20 terabytes, 40 terabytes, 100 terabytes of data that they want to load at the same time into the graph database. Second generation graph databases solve the size problem. They were built on NoSQL backend. So NoSQL came from the Hadoop movement and you can Mm -hmm. scale out infinitely by just adding more servers that to the equation. So size was not an issue. You can load up in a NoSQL database, graph database that's based on NoSQL. You can load up 10 terabytes, you can load up 20 terabytes, you can load up 40 terabytes. There's no limitation because 
the Hadoop-like architecture really has no limitation on how much data it can hold, right? The problem was still that single-thread problem wasn't solved. It was still single-threaded when it was doing information search. And because you had to scan the entire table with hundreds of billions of rows or billions of rows to find and connect objects, the speed was much slower than what it could be in a native graph database. So first to second generation, <laughs> speed reduced, scalability increased, okay? You can load up tera, 20 terabytes of data, but you can't do as same speed as the first generation graph database because objects aren't pre-connected, right? Okay. Third generation graph databases like TigerGraph solved both of these problems with a very clever computational metaphor. What they did is they said, these Hansel and Gretels, these workers that are going along and finding paths within uh, data, let's give them infinitely colored, like red, yellow, blue, magenta, and then let's invent color as you need to, and let them drop those, run those multiple threads pa in parallel to utilize the entire CPU capacity. And this is the reason why TigerGraph you know, takes in 20 terabytes of data in Bank of America, loads it up in natively into the graph database and performs the fraud detection analysis about thousand times faster than their previous solution could because those Hansel and Gretels are running wild inside with 100 threads. If it, it, if it has 40 processors, it will run 40 threads along at the same time. And all of these threads are able to inform each other. They are able to talk to each other to say, hey, I have found a fraudulent path here. No, I didn't find a fraudulent path there. Let me abort that search and go to a different search. So that kind of architecture is brand new. And the engineers are just now beginning to understand how to apply it different use cases. So now you are seeing that adoption in large enterprises like Bank of America, like JP, JP Morgan Chase, that have standardized on a graph database in the last two years as mm. an enterprise graph database. After this, so we are circa 2012 of NoSQL, where people started standardizing on MongoDB and MarkLogic and other NoSQL. Yeah. So we are about, you know, seven to eight years out to where it will become a $10 billion industry, right? Um, okay. The good part is the basics are in place now. United Health Group, one of the largest healthcare providers in the world, quarter of a trillion dollars, going at 20% revenue, which is amazing. They have standardized their patient 360 on TigerGraph, for example. Looking at them now, rest of the players like Kaiser Permanente, like Blue Shield, and everybody else who is competing in now has their own graph initiatives. Does it is it going to happen instantaneously? No, but is it going to happen materially? How much are enterprises carrying out in terms of money? It's multi-million dollars per year is what they are starting to spend on graph databases, which will grow into tens to hundreds of millions over the next 10 years, um, is Gartner's forecast. Uh, okay. Graph. So it's your belief that the primary limitations of graph databases are solved for, particularly for the enterprises that have this analytical need, right? Yeah. Yes. And it's and it's solving real world problems, like you yeah. mentioned. Now it's adoption. Yeah. Now it's adoption, now and it's basically people rolling out graph databases. What 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 needs to happen? Relational databases are now people who are relational database 
are now not thinking in rows and columns. They are thinking in trees. They are thinking, saying, interconnected objects. And that shift took about six years, six to eight years to take. But now it's happened in large enterprise innovators and adopters. And now Citibank is also coming along. Okay. That's following B of A and JP Morgan Chase in the financial sure. services world. Kaiser and Blue Shield are coming along to follow United Health Group's example. So it's starting to happen. And that's where I expect that to accelerate over the next five years and essentially become a no-sequel size industry in the next eight to 10 years is what would be my forecast here. What um, I'm sure it's different across different types of companies, different types of large enterprise organizations, but what percent of these enterprises' data are graph databases particularly well-suited for? Like you've mentioned standardizing. Are you talking about 100% of their data? Or is there some portion that's still really, really well-suited for relational or NoSQL? So actually, relational uh, and NoSQL and graph don't compete with each other from what we what I've seen the customers. They are complementary, and I'll explain how. Okay. Um, relational databases is where you log a transaction, where you log an order, where you onboard an employee, uh, where you log a patient claim about healthcare, uh, where you log a log a configuration for a particular type of vehicle that somebody wants. Uh, that's that's the system of record, right? System of transaction. Um, the system of commerce or merchandising or selling it to make it ready for the world out there, e-commerce and omni-commerce is NoSQL. So once you have, once you have transactional stuff done, NoSQL exposes it to the world, makes it available, makes builds out these infinite catalogs on Amazon and on everything else that's e-commerce, uh, store store level commerce, all of that flexibility that's required to merchandise a product is NoSQL. When you are ready to do analysis across both of these domains, the transactional domain where you log the business or commerce domain where you're actually selling the stuff, that's where graph databases come in. So all of the data that's in there will be loaded over by with slices, a slice from the commerce data and the slice from the transactional data would be loaded into a graph database. The world of transaction and world of commerce comes together and you get deep insights to say, this is what the customer responded to. This is what they clicked on. This is what they put it in their cart. And this is what they bought finally. And these are the additional products that they bought following that. And based on this analysis, I can say that Gaurav Dishpande is likely to buy a blower next for his backyard because he bought a grill there mm -hmm. and he bought, you know, set up spatulas for barbecue, right? So those analysis, that analysis of connecting the what behavior has been, what current customer is currently doing and what products do we have to sell, connecting across those is what graph databases do really, really well. So all of the data gets loaded into a graph database is going to be the end state in 20 years. In slices where you connect the transactional world on relational database side and commerce world on NoSQL side. And it's funny, they just came together in my mind when I've been talking to these customers nonstop, hundreds of customers over the last 10 years. And it just coalesced in my mind that this is what they have been doing. If you look at a fintech provider, they are logging all their transactions, payment transactions in a relational database. 
they are making all the customer data available in the front end in an app using uh, uh-huh. NoSQL and two of them come together in a graph database finally like a tiger graph or a neo4j to do analysis of the data so yeah it's not one type of the data it's the usage of what type of if you're trying to do analytics you're trying to do ai artificial intelligence you're trying to do machine learning and by the way if you're trying to do generational ai beyond a point you need graph database we can talk mm. more about it if the time permits but let's chat gpt is all the rage right now you yeah, might want to get to do it at some point. I, I want. I I definitely want to get to that in, in just a minute. The one of the last questions I wanted to ask you on this was, you've mentioned first generation, second generation, third generation of graph yeah. databases, and you've mentioned two companies specifically, Tiger Graph and, and Neo4j. Um, yeah. And you've mentioned Neo4j is sort of a first generation. They were the ones that founded. They're the OG, more or less. yeah. They're the OG, exactly. Yeah, they're the, they're the, they're the <laughs> it was, OG. It was actually funny. It was interns from my alma mater, uh, Indian Institute of Technology, Bombay, that actually created the first set of code. And Neo4j was the company that hired them to create the graph okay. data. So actually, Inter- <laughs> interesting. Part of India. So, so you've talked about third generation databases and Tiger Graph specifically as solving okay. some of these key limitations. What has prevented Neo4j from solving for those things? Have they solved for them? Um, yeah, yeah and, and feel free to just, you know, take it from here. Absolutely. So there are three limitations that I mentioned, right? First was yeah. size, how much data can you load? Second was multi-threading, right? Uh, and the third one was really saying, you know, can you can you use up all the processes on a, on a machine? The first one, which is size, Neo4j actually solved it. Um, with a hack, which is a very intelligent hack, actually. It's called Neo4j Fabric. Uh, what it allows you to do is to have, essentially, let's say you have 10 terabytes of data, right? In case of Bank of America, JP Morgan, they are not Neo4j. They used to be Neo4j customers. They migrated to Tiger Graph, but that's not the point. If you want to load up 10 terabytes of payment data, what Neo4j's Fabric does is allows you to say, load it up in one terabyte chunks each, and we'll essentially write a distributed query that goes out and fetches the appropriate data from each of the clusters and joins it together and presents it back to the user as a graph query, right? That's what Neo4j Fabric is. Now, you'll remember that the reason why relational databases are slow is because they have to do table joins across multiple segments and join that information. Mm -hmm. Mm Neo4j Fabric has the same exact problem. So you're back to... You solve the data set problem where you can load up 10 terabytes, but now you have to create 50, 100 different chunks of the data, just like you did in case of relational databases. And you have to do joins across those, thereby slowing down your speed of the queries dramatically, right? So you so, do not solve the speed problem, right? Okay. So if, if I can just summarize that, you're saying Neo4j with Fabric solved the scalability issue, but it came at the sacrifice of performance. Absolutely, yeah. And, okay. and you can see that in any of their customers that are trying to load up more than a terabyte of data is that Fabric isn't successful at all in terms of loading up more than a terabyte of data because you have so many segments that have been created, like quarter of terabytes each, that you end up with a mess of like clusters of data that are that are very, very messy, right? Mm. The second problem, which is single-threaded problem, can't be solved fundamentally because the architecture wasn't, you have to rewrite the architecture. You have to rebuild the architecture. Right? They might do that at some point in time. I'm not saying they're not going to do that. They haven't done it yet. The third time, which is maximizing the CPU, is done by 
clustering with the fabric, but the problem of scalability performance remains. So scalability solved, performance remains. So that's what the problem with the first generation graph database. Okay. And what has prevented Neo4j from replicating this? Like, it sounds like this solution has been solved for. So what's preventing them from, <laughs> or any other graph database from replicating that? Absolutely. Yeah. So the, many have tried and all, all have failed. Uh, there's a reason for it. Uh, there's patents. The Hansel and Gretel metaphor that I gave is not just a metaphor. The Hansel and Gretel thing that has been created by Tagigraph is actually codified into patents. Those patents um, have been filed and they are also, there are papers written and presented in international conferences for databases. Um, those can't be, anybody who is trying to write that will be violating those patterns. So when it comes to that approach of Hansel and Gretel, where you have multiple threads being spun off and the threads that are talking to each other, that problem, the approach to that has been public and codified and is patented. So unless they come up with a different hardware-based approach that's not software-based, uh, mm -hmm. that's the only possibility where you will be able to have a, and I'm sure somebody will come up with it, um, Maybe NVIDIA will come up with it, or maybe Neo4j and NVIDIA will come up. I don't know. I don't know who's going to come yeah. up with it, but NVIDIA is working tightly with Tigraph also. So I don't know who will come up with it, but hardware acceleration is the other way to solve it. Uh, it's not yeah. an easy problem to solve. So it, it's, just, it's just computationally, it's the hardest graph. Scaling a graph is the hardest problem to solve because it's a multidimensional problem. It's not just yeah. like rows and columns. That makes sense. Is, that, is that the primary reason why Tiger Graph is not open source is because they have this very important IP and they want to part protect of the reason, it. Part of the reason, the other reason is uh, just because uh, of uh, laziness of developers <laughs> sometimes. But that particular core is very proprietary. They will not share it anytime soon. I mean, I'm not part of Tiger Graph anymore. So I have no idea yeah. what they would do, but I don't think they'll share it anytime soon. Uh, it's like asking uh, Google to make their uh, make their search engine uh, uh, essentially open source, right? It's it, yeah, yeah. I, I see part, that parts of it are parts of it are not right. Parts of it are yeah. of open source. Part of it are not. Same thing right. with ChatGPT is not open source. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's interesting that you bring that point up because uh, some of the AI tools have been released. To the open yeah. source like facebook's llama was released to the open source yeah, yeah. and within within weeks people were able to build off of those open source things and solve enormous problems like there was a there was a leaked letter recently from a google software engineer yeah. that was basically saying our top six or seven problems that we've been having with open source yeah. have all been solved for within <laughs> two or three weeks by the open source community. Absolutely. And I'm not saying Tigergraph shouldn't open source it. I'm actually in the camp that they should open source it because the idea is so interesting that any kind of network that is a complex decision network can be paralyzed in terms of execution using yeah. that idea. So I really think that they should open source it. They might open source it. I don't know. Uh, but I would really encourage them to absolutely open source it, especially yeah. because I really think that it's a, it's something that when you have three weeks to 15 minutes kind of shrinkage 
of complex supply chain planning, or you have, uh, you know, hours to milliseconds for fraud detection. That algorithms that does that traversal so fast has to be open source at some point in time for the sake of mankind. Because you could do yeah. discoveries of drugs faster than you could otherwise. You could do a host yeah. of things that are much better and much faster. I I I think it raises an important question though, is in the in the face of the open source community, and I'm sure there's graph databases out there in open source, if they find a way to solve this problem that doesn't trip Tiger Graph's patents, how does Tiger Graph have any hope of competing with the open source community or particularly with a company who fosters an ecosystem of the open source community like MongoDB has famously yeah. <laughs> done it and and a couple of other very well-known open source companies who have had enormous success from from fostering that ecosystem yeah. and then and then monetizing it with enterprise features. So I guess all of that to be said, how does Tiger Graph hope to be able to compete long-term against the open source community? Yeah, great question, right? So I'll answer, answer that question with uh, with a two-fold answer. And it's something that has been weighing on my mind, not just for Tiger Graph, for any, any other um, proprietary code base that's out there, right? Whether it's Google versus uh, ChatGPT versus OpenAI Assistant, which is, you know, almost equally as good at chat gpt3 at least um so here is the thing um the when that moment presents itself and i suspect it might present itself some version thereof in the next two years or so given how much okay. graph databases are getting adopted now i mean if i just look at the adoption of graph databases and i look at the jobs with graph in their title They've grown about 350% between last year and this year. I've been tracking that across LinkedIn. So mm. if you look at that growth, right? It's been a massive number of jobs and jobs indicate that there is actually demand for implementing these things. So there's two options that company like Tigraph will have or any closed source company will have. Either open source yourself or try to focus down on segments that are proprietary friendly, like healthcare like life sciences, mm -hmm. like financial services to a certain extent, in areas that are proprietary, like high-frequency trading, for example, is a proprietary trading area where people don't usually have a lot of open-source software. And they use open-source software around ages, but the core is always proprietary. Focus on those, go in that direction, or open up your kimono and go in the embrace the open-source openly and say, hey, here's our code base. Come on in, build on top of Tiger Graph. I don't mm. know what they would choose, uh, but those are the two options to choose. <laughs> I mean, you can do you can go the Palantir route. Palantir is not open source. Palantir is making you know literally you know billion. I think close to a billion in a year now. So in revenue, right? So you could go that yeah. route, or you could go the yeah. other route where you say, "Hey, come on in. Water is fine. You know, we want to." Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they have wrestled with that question after I left. I left, I left a couple of years back. I'm sure they were wrestled with that question. My mm -hmm. decision is they will make the right decision for the company when the time mm -hmm. comes because people who are guiding it, like Yushu, the CEO, are veterans at open source as well as enterprise software. So they understand the landscape well. I'm sure they're okay. thinking about it. But that would be okay. my advice. <laughs> my advice would be yeah. leading towards the open source because I've seen the tech. It's too cool to keep it proprietary. It's super uh -huh. cool. 
it's incredible. I'm, I'm an engineer myself. I started writing code for the first three years of my career. Um, it's a fabulous piece of code. It should be open. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's a really interesting insight. I think selfishly for society, like I want it to be open sourced, but I also understand their business and they have to generate a return on their investment. Exactly. And they've invested a lot into this. And so I, I do understand that. Um, let's talk more about AI. So we've, we talked about this. So you and I spoke about a year ago uh, yeah. on, on stream and had a, a great conversation. But one of the things that has really, really changed the world since then has been AI, chat GPT, you know, the aforementioned Llama and the open source finally getting their hands on, on AI as well. And you're seeing some amazing things come out of that. Yeah. How does that affect graph databases in general? It's very interesting. Uh, the interest in graph databases uh, with... Uh, so generative AI is the term that's used. Uh, that's a technical term. But if you look at what generative AI really is, it's a summative AI. It helps you summarize things around a particular topic really, really well, right? It does through generative AI and the technology it tries to guess what the next thing is. So I'll, I'll give you a specific example from my own my current company, which is, you know, we do a lot of business with on-demand labor marketplaces, right? We uh, People who are um, allowing you to hire a warehouse worker or a restaurant, restaurant delivery worker or a bartender, be able to hire that with a click of a button. That's what on-demand labor marketplaces do. One of the things that I was doing is doing a research of who are the on-demand labor marketplaces for each segment, like restaurant delivery versus warehouses versus light industrial versus energy, oil and gas, and things like that. Um, summative AI or generative AI is really good at creating lists of things, right? It will tell you across all of the internet that I've scanned, these are the companies that fit the bill of being on-demand labor company, right? Mm. What it's not great at is to say, cross-correlate across these and tell me which of these are have employee count more than 300 are based in within Texas, state of Texas, and have connections to uh, these three founders that we have and these 10 investors that we have for my company so that I can help find connections into those, introductions into those. That's where graph databases come in. So now what companies are doing is com combining that insight from generative AI, the list from generative AI, summary from generative AI, taking each of those individual points and using graph databases to connect across investors, customers, um, and other data, quantitative data, traversing that graph, so to speak. So create the master list with generative AI and then go deeper into the master list and connect across those, that list using graph databases. So graph databases actually combined with a chat GPT or an open AI assistant are super powerful at helping you connect summary data that has been created by a chat GPT or an open AI assistant. Mm -hmm. So that's the way people are starting to look at it now. I'll say I'm using it in for my own market research. And I suspect many of the people are going to head it that way because they realize that when you're trying to connect across different domains of information or collections of information that chat GPT has presented you, that's where graph databases shine. So 
it's going to be a very interesting amalgam because now what used to take me a week to put together, I can put together in 15 minutes of all my targets and how I can reach them. That's a game changer for my sales team. That's mm. a game changer for the marketing team. Uh, what used to take weeks of research will take now minutes of research. And that's just one example of where I'm using it in my own world. Uh, I suspect B of A, Bank of America, JP Morgan Chase, Citibank, on the financial services side, uh, typically tech leaders, they're gonna, they are they are investigating into the same because they already have graph databases implemented. Now they are looking at summative AI or generative AI to connect the dots between those. Uh, I'm sure every other domain, energy, pharmaceutical, healthcare is looking at that same exact intersection. I know for a fact that some of the people in healthcare are working on it, but I can't mention those names because they're not. Sure, sure, sure. It it seems like based on our conversation thus far with graph databases being superior to NoSQL and relational and being able to pull from multiple sources and do multiple levels of analysis, that that sounds like a tailor-made solution for... AI when you're trying to generate responses based on multiple different sources, like when you're trying to generate totally original. Precisely. And by the way, the Google search that you have been using is built off of a graph. <laughs> so the, the Google search that all of us have been using for the last several years is built off of yeah. a graph algorithm, right? PageRank is a graph algorithm. Community yeah. detection is a graph algorithm. All of these are graph Structures. They simply were not available commercially before because Google has kept yeah. it under graphs for so long. Yeah. They are all it, graph structures. It's funny that you mentioned that because it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I remember reading about how Google, Facebook, various other companies were dissatisfied with the public options mm-hmm. for graph databases. Yeah, because they and have so the they, they, options. They were looking at yeah. databases like Neo4j, exactly. And that's why they wrote their own. And and so they just built their own, right? And yeah, so they built exactly. their own proprietary graph so database. So did Alibaba, by the way. Alibaba has a team of 3,500 graph engineers that wrote their proprietary graph um, because they didn't, they didn't find first-generation graph databases in Neo4j enterprise ready. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of uh, Amazon, I think. They were on Oracle. Yeah. And Oracle famously kind of internally said, you'll never switch off of us. You'll never switch yeah, off of us. Yeah, yeah. And and Amazon said, okay, it's all hands on deck. We're getting off of <laughs> exactly. Oracle. And I think in six months, basically, or yeah, something like yeah, that, yeah. They, they, were, exactly. they finally made the switch. That's, that's the exact, yeah, exact time frame. In six to eight months, it was out and replaced and never to go back, right? So what I'm saying is, unless you are like Alibaba, where you have 3,500 graph engineers and you have four years to build it out, I would say, look at commercial graph databases. That's right. Right? <laughs> That's right. Easy way. Easy way. You don't have to build it yourself. Yeah. Some people might still build their own graph databases. I'll give you an example. O9 Solutions is now $200 million in revenue. Uh, my first company that I joined, IT Technologies, its founder now has funded that O9 Solutions. Uh, they have built their own graph databases for supply chain planning. When they looked at Tiger Graph, they said, where the hell were you guys three years back when I were building this? Now we have already built a proprietary graph database. If you, you guys were around, we would have just standardized on you. So mm. now what happens is now from this point onwards, the third generation graph databases get used and the foundation, like they are in case of B of A, Bank of America, JP Morgan Chase, City, 
and all of these because MasterCard, because they are around now. But mm-hmm. if you look at 2010, 2008, 2004, 2005, nothing scaled in a graph database. Mm-hmm. Graph database was considered to be a toy database. So this is fun to mm-hmm. visualize, fun to look at it, not ready for prime time. That's how graph database would treat it. Let's uh let's talk a little bit about market share right now in terms of the overall size of the database industry. So you have said already in this call that you don't view these different types of databases as competing with each other. They don't compete with each other. Absolutely not. Yeah. You're not going to do but, it with a relational database because there's no reason to. They're inexpensive. They're great for transactions. They're okay. easy to understand for, and you have millions of people trained on it already. Why would you replace it? You just sure. it with graph database for analytics and AI, simple. But if I think of the overall size of the pie, how big is the database market? And what percent of that is graph? And, and what percent of that overall data is really well-suited for graph databases? Very cool. So 100% of the data is well-suited for graph database. Doesn't mean 100% will get loaded in there. But let me qualify that. There is no separate market for graph. There is no separate market for NoSQL. There is no separate market for relational, right? There's only one market for storing information. So here is what happens. This is my forecast, personal forecast. And I think Gartner has put out similar statements. Gartner also said there's only one graph database market. Let's say that's a hundred billion market, right? For the for the for the, for the database total. What happens is as relational databases get further commoditized and as the open source relational database market even accelerates further, the amount of per terabyte cost that people pay, per gigabyte or per terabyte cost people say for a relational database keeps shrinking. And it has been shrinking for the last 20 years. My expectation is that keeps shrinking. The volume remains the same on a relational database or expands. Uh, percentage of the volume remains the same. So let's say you, you have information going, overall information growing uh, like 50% more in the next 10 years uh, from like zettabytes, you know, 25 zettabytes to let's say it goes to 40 zettabytes, right? The 40 zettabytes can all potentially be stored in a relational database but the price per gigabyte and terabyte that people are paying will be one-tenth of what it is right now. So revenue share of a relational database will shrink in the coming years, in the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. The rest of the revenue that will be freed up by that would be then occupied partly by NoSQL, partly by graph database, and partly by vector databases, which we haven't talked about. So we can <laughs> spend what? more time. Let's, let's, get, let's get to that next, because I really want to hear about that. But yeah, l- yeah, let's yeah. keep to the market size right now. Yeah. So, so market size, I would say that less than less than 5% right now is NoSQL, right? Around 5% is NoSQL, right? Um, around 85% is 85 to 88% is relational database. Um, graph database is about one, one and a half percent right now. Uh, and it's likely to grow. Uh, that is the current size. And then rest of them, I put them into columnar database, time series database, and a host of other specialty databases. There are about 20 different types. Those are occupying the rest of the five or six percent. My expectation in 10 years revenue, I'm not talking about volume size. I'm talking about the revenue of the database market. The 
database, the relational will shrink to 70% or less. Uh, NoSQL will double from 5% to 10%. Uh, graph will get to 8 to 10%, and the rest of the databases will be about 10%. So that's my expectation, and that's consistent with what IDCA has put out, what Gartner has put out in different shapes and forms. Um, that would be my expectation. Um, okay. 70, 10, 10, and 10. Yeah. 70% okay. relational, 10% graph, 8 to 10% graph, 10% NoSQL. Uh, and then about 10% all other databases. And they have been there because there are way too many types to talk about time series, yeah. column and databases, host of others. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's finish this call up. I, I want to hear about vector databases. That was on one of the things that just, <laughs> I've heard some about it. Yeah. Uh, like I, I follow some people on Twitter who were original founders of vector databases. And those are really interesting techie guys to, kind of follow, but I don't know what it is. I don't have a technical background. Can you help maybe just explain it to me at an elementary level? <laughs> yes, uh, I'm happy to. Um, the uh, vector databases are built off a mathematical construct, really. Uh, very sound mathematical matrix right? Uh, matrix of data, which is, you know, multidimensional rows and columns, but that have a depth associated with them, right? Think of vector as collection of objects that are within that three-dimensional space. That's what a vector database does. So it can say, tell me all the people like Jake, who are investors in public companies, who are also invested into Agora uh, <laughs> uh, or Agora-like companies, take that dimension in and something that has a market space that is more than a billion dollars in the next five years, right? That complex question can be represented in a vector, right? Equation. That is how vector databases think about the world. And therefore, when you're talking about analytics and AI, the next level of augmentation of analytics along with graph databases that connect the things better together and uh, vector databases that ask the complicated questions better together. Combination of graph and vector is what you will start to see analytics and AI coalesce around. Anything else is going to be too damn slow and therefore will not will basically be chucked to the wayside. And you will see vector and combination. Vector is how you ask the question and graph how you connect the dots to give the answer. So vector are a perfect counterpart of encapsulating something into a complex equation that can be then answered by a graph in the fastest manner. That's the Mm. easiest way to describe. (laughs) I'm happy to do a session for your viewers on vector databases alone. It's something that is uh, a side product of mine. I've been very interested in that space for a long time. I'm happy to see more companies are there. We could walk through a landscape if you want. Uh, because I'm very familiar with the landscape, and I can walk you through some of those players on a different call. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's good enough for now. Perhaps as, as Vector grows in popularity, and yeah. uh, and uh, maybe we have another call like this because it's this yeah. been super helpful. Maybe maybe just to wrap up, is there anything we haven't spoken about graph databases that you think is just super important to understand? Yes, it's the accuracy part of it. So it doesn't mean that no, you know, you can't put together recommendations for e-commerce with on top of relational databases using other tools. 
it does uh, you can't do, you can do fraud detection using relational databases uh, but i'm going to leave your uh, viewers with one thing is that when you're trying to do speed and accuracy together there is no substitute for complex analysis of data or finding patterns which is what ai is ai essentially find repeating mm -hmm. patterns that's what we do on, in our brain um, when you're trying to find complex patterns, repeating patterns, or you're trying to do complex analysis by connecting different objects together at speed and at higher accuracy, there is no substitute to a graph database currently. Um, will there be something else that will come along? I'm sure there will be. But right now, if you want to do 100 times faster analysis of the fraud data, if you're trying to do supply chain planning 700,000 times faster, there is no substitution for graph database. Mm. That's something that's a well-established thing among computer scientists, right? Because it's like, I'm going to do something that, you know, there's no video associated with the podcast, but if you're trying to eat, you can bring your hand up to your face and eat straight, or you can wrap it around your neck and try to eat it from the other side of the mouth. But, you know, I prefer to just <laughs> take the hand up. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> and eat that's that funny. without wrapping it around your head and trying to get to the other side of the mouth, right? That's what doing it with relational data makes it for no sequel. That's, uh, do that. that's, <laughs> that's spectacular imagery to leave the listeners with. I'm going to go, I'm gonna go eat. I hope it was helpful. Yeah, Yeah. Thank no, you. this is this has been great. Thanks so much for the time, Gaurav. Bye. Have a good rest of the day. Bye.